chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 5, and we'll remain standing for prayer. John says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, rather this is the angel, uh, or the Lord revealing himself to John, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. May God bless his word. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. And Lord, I thank you so much for Bill's testimony of your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for sustaining them through this. Thank you for the way Ethan's siblings rallied around him and just the many blessings that this has brought out. We know, Father, that sometimes when we see the greatest tragedies is when we see the greatest heroes and we're mindful of America and, and how we got here. But we want to thank you for Ethan and just lift him up to you and, and beg you, Lord, to just continue to heal him, encourage his heart, strengthen him more and more each day. And then we pray for Titus. I pray, Father, that you just calm his spirits, restore to him a sense of security. Um, and I, Father, I pray that you would use this in Titus's life to just draw him closer to you, that he would come to know that you did not abandon him during this time, that you had a reason for it. He may not see that right now. And certainly these uh, thugs meant it for evil. But Father, we're so grateful that you are, that what men mean for evil, you mean for good. And so we just pray that you would strengthen Titus and his family and, and minister to him healing as well. And then, Father, we pray for Josh. Just use him as he prayed. Father, I pray that you'd um, help him to be faithful to you. Thank you for that simple sentence about what we have to do is just be faithful to proclaim and you take care of the results. Pray that you would do that on his trip. Bless him. Use his words. Bless the even the workers that he's with. Father, I know that they... Some of them may also be a mission field that he needs to reach. And we just pray that you'd just bless them. Bless all those that are traveling. Father, I pray for uh, the, the Moody family, um, the, for Leah's family with the grieving and the, the funeral, but also the family gathering. I pray that you would bless them. Give them a safe trip. Give them a precious time with family, knitting hearts together. And uh, Lord, I pray you bless those that are traveling, others. And just give us a great day today as we worship you. And my prayer, Father, is that our precious, precious Savior would be exalted. 
by the preaching, the singing, every aspect, but in hearts especially. And we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And normally, this would be the day where I would preach a message on liberty and independence. In fact, some of them are available on um, sermon audio if you, if you want one of their messages. But last Sunday was our 30-year anniversary. And uh, I did not finish uh, the anniversary message. And so I'm going to continue that today uh, with some things that I want to share that I, I was not able to get to. Uh, last Sunday, if you were with us, we I gave a history of how our church started uh, as a result of an evangelistic Bible study that was done in the Kerr's basement back in... Uh, Jim, do you remember? Did it start in 1990, 1991? A couple, couple, years. couple years before... Um, and uh, in fact, it was supposed to be just a like an eight-week study or something, four-week four study, that uh, it, it was so evident that God was doing something there in saving souls. And and it, it was only kind of like when that was happening that the leaders at Bible Baptist in Westchester said, you know what, something's happening here. This might be what God is doing to fulfill that vision that we had to plant a church in Delaware County. And so that one thing led to another. And there's so many testimonies, so many blessings. I shared just two brief ones about the facility that the Lord led us to, um, thanks to Jim's keen screwdriver. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, and also uh, the, the, the priest getting saved. There's so many things, how God opened the doors and blessed so many precious people. And so the thing that I focused on last time, last time we went to... Um, we looked at Psalm 127, where the Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows. In other words, very clearly, if God's not in it, every effort we do is just empty. And that's true with building a house. That's true with watching a city. That's true with every area of life. Everything. And it's also true with building a church. Now Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And thankfully he is building his church. And so we're going to talk about that uh, because it's very important that you and I understand how he builds his church. He builds his church and we see it in the book of Acts. We see it uh, beginning with the great commission of Jesus Christ. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And we see it on the day of Pentecost, where his church began as him building the church. The gospel went out, people got saved, and the church began. And so he has been building his church during this church age ever since then. And he's been doing it a specific way. Always, in fact, just what Josh said, when God's people are faithful to preach the gospel, he saves souls and builds his church. And we see that happen in the book of Acts. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So people would hear the gospel, they'd get saved, and then they became part of the church. 
And so now we, we move to Revelation chapters 1 and 2, where John receives this, he's on the Isle of Patmos, and he receives a revelation, and it's prophetic. He is told to write down the things which are, the things which shall be, the things which thou hast seen, past, present, and future. And in chapter 2, he comes to this significant portion where there are letters written to the seven churches. And there were seven churches in that area. These were legitimate churches, and and, uh, there were letters concerning each one. And each church was different. He had some good things to say about some of them. He had some bad things to say about some of them. He had some good and bad things to say about a lot of them. And one or two, he only had bad things. One or two, he only had good things. But um, there's so much to learn in these letters. And we're only going to look today at one church. The church in Ephesus. Because of, since we're 30 year anniversary, we are considering how God works in His New Testament church and how He has done it historically. And we, we come across a very peculiar statement from our Lord in this letter to the church in Ephesus. I want you to look at it. It's verse 5. Again, he, he writes this letter. Verse 2, he says, I know thy works and thy labor, thy patience. And he has a lot of good things to say about them. But verse 4, he has some negative things to say. They left their first love. And now in verse 5 he says this, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. And now there is a a threat that is associated with this exhortation. And that's what I want to focus on. Or else. That's a threat, right? You know, if your parents ever say, you better do this, or else, that's a threat, right? I mean, you could say that's a threat. And so Jesus says, or else. In other words, if you don't repent and do your first works, and by the way, that right there is beautiful, because God always gives us space to repent. Don't ever forget that. The Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And even as it says in, in this uh, in, in Revelation to another church, he gives Jezebel, he gives her space to repent. And by the way, don't misread that. Remember what Ecclesiastes says, that because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, in other words, you don't reap what you sow immediately. And, and I'm so grateful for that. But because of that, some people get the, the effect it says, because of that, the hearts of the, fu- the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. In other words, they think they're getting away with it because they're not getting punished immediately. And they think, oh, look at this. And therefore, they get more and more steadfast in their sin. Don't ever forget that. Now, be grateful when you and I sin, and we do, that he has mercy. And he gives us time to repent. But we ne'er, dare not abuse that. And so here the Lord said, if you do not repent in this time period I'm giving you to repent, I will come unto thee quickly and, listen to this, 
I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now that is a very peculiar statement. What do you mean? You're going to remove the candlestick? It's very likely, folks, that um, the church maybe didn't have a candlestick physically, the way there was a candlestick in the temple and in the tabernacle. They might have read that you know, initially and thought, what is he talking about? So we're going to look at this today because this is very important. Good to see you, brother. It's very, very important. So let's talk about this, the, the candlestick. And I want to give you three things in our outline. The, um, first of all, the importance of light. As you know, a candlestick. What's a candlestick for? To give light. The importance of light, the significance of the candlestick, and the significance of its removal. Because folks, whether or not you realize it, this applies to us as a church. It's like God is saying to every church, every New Testament church that was started by God. And remember last week, we talked about the foundations and accept the Lord build the house. And it's so evident, not because of anything, any of us that were involved in the beginning, it wasn't because of us. It was a work of God. And it was very evident And I shared last week that I was contrasting that with the first church that I pastored, which I came to find out was started, I believe, for the wrong motives. It was a result of a church split. Not all church splits are wrong, though. But it was a result of a church split. And it was done, it seemed to be done in spite. And it was very clear that God, it's very clear there was no no candlestick in that church. And we had a church. It had a name. Not Furniture Baptist, that was our nickname for it. There was a real name for it. And it had, you know, we had a sign. And we had a building. And we had people. And we had members. And we had activities. We had church services on Sunday and on Wednesday night. We did all that. But it became very clear to me, the candlestick was never in there. And there's a lot of churches today Some of them, historically, started out with the hand of God's blessing. The candlestick, the light, was in that. But over the years, and you study church history, you will see that many, many churches, in fact, some entire denominations, have long since moved away from gospel truth. And yet they're still churches. Some of them are big. Some of them own a lot of properties. But they're not preaching the gospel. And the candlestick has been removed. And we need to take this as a warning. Because no church has an endless guarantee from God that he is always going to work through them. You can start out as a good church. But if you get your eyes off the the Lord, and many churches in America have become social clubs. They're not preaching the gospel anymore. And some of them, the the candlestick's gone. And we don't want that to happen. So, the importance of light. Let's A candlestick. A candelabra. Comes from the Latin candelabrum. Uh, You ever heard of a a menorah? The menorah is just the Hebrew word for candlestick. So when you think candlestick, when you think lampstand, which is what they were, the... uh, In the Old Testament, the lampstand, it was the candelabra, it was the candlestick, it was the menorah. And that's the same term. And it all 
began during the time of the tabernacle. When they were in the wilderness, before they had the temple, uh, the Lord gave Moses very clear instructions on how to uh, build the tabernacle and how to set it up. And he even gave instructions, specific instructions, that there was to be a menorah, a candlestick, and it, it, how it was to look, it was to be made of pure gold. And it was what provided light in the tabernacle because there were no windows. It was tent, purely dark, needed artificial light, and that was what the candlestick was there for. But what does that light represent? Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. Folks, everything goes back to that. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He said, He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. By the way, we talked this morning about true and false converts. Quick prayerism is the title of our Sunday school, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. And um, there is a danger of people just praying a prayer, but not really getting saved. And that would be a false convert. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We're going through the, the book of First, uh, First John in our evening service. And all First John is doing is challenging God's people, examine yourselves. Because many people claim they're walking in the light when they're really in darkness. In John chapter 9, the very next chapter, Jesus said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now the Bible also gives us the what happens when there is no light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I've quoted this a lot recently. What a great verse. I love this verse. Don't ever forget this. It says, if our gospel be hid, remember what the gospel is, it's the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. If it's hid, in other words, somebody hears it, they hear the present day, they don't get it. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, small g, who's that? Satan. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, the Bible says, lest, here's what happens, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. By the way, that's what happened when you got saved. When God opened your eyes, did a work in your heart. The glorious light of the gospel shined in unto you. You saw that you were a sinner. You knew you deserved judgment. You heard about the gospel, what Jesus did dying on the cross, and you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious light of the gospel shined in. By the way, that needs to happen. You can join a church, and that won't save you. You can pray million different prayers. There's all kinds of prayers that you can pray. You go to any church, they have a bunch of different prayers. I grew up with prayers. You grew up with prayers, maybe. You know, I, I've shared with my kids so many times, I've shared with you, that I still have my only prayer that I prayed ever growing up. still have it in my mind. 
And it was every night before I went to bed, and it's the most sincere, meaningful, touching prayer. I want you to pay attention, because I'd get before God, humble myself, and I'd say, God bless Mommy, Daddy, Jimmy, Stevie, Patty, Beth, and Oliver. <laughs> Amen. Oliver, by the way, was my dog. Doesn't, isn't that touching? I mean, doesn't that just get to you? You know? <laughs> I mean, there's prayers. Prayers are prayers, you know? You just say your prayers. But folks, what we're talking about is, again, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Are your, is your mind bl- blinded? You don't believe? Then what has not happened is the glorious light of the gospel has not shined in unto you. And, but when it does, it is glorious. It is so glorious. So the challenge now for the true believer who has received the light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Listen to what Jesus said to them in Matthew 5. He said now to those who have the light, you, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Folks, if you're born again, you got the Spirit of God in you, you have the light. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you have the light in you? Has the glorious light of the gospel shined in unto you? And there's, you're not going to argue that you're a sinner saved by grace, because you know. In the pictures, side presentation, there's a lot of pictures of people that were part of our church. Sadly, some of them have passed on. One of those pictures was a very special lady that was involved, and she was there at the basement of the Kurs when we had that Bible study with her two kids. She had a son and a daughter. And she was such a precious lady, so faithful. Her husband was not saved, and we prayed for him. In fact, I remember, remember her kids, uh, they were very involved in the Bible study. It was it's such a blessing when, you know, here's this adult Bible study, and you get these two little kids and they would participate. They would answer questions and all. And oh, it was so precious. And uh, she, she was a gem. And then 2005. 2005 was a year that will go down in history as in some ways the most difficult year our church has ever had. Because we had a very precious lady, an Egyptian lady, and her husband that were giving birth. And it was on that day, or it was on August, August 5th, I think, 2005, she gave birth to a precious little girl, and then she passed away. We were at the music college. I remember coming home in the van with some people and got a phone call that she had passed. That was in August 2005. That same year, we had a young Christian gal that uh, had recently made a profession of faith that was starting to grow. She was estranged from her husband. And her husband came to church. This is when we were in the other building. And he made a profession of faith. And then he killed his wife two weeks later. 
those are our converts, Jim, aren't they? <laughs> you know, talking about our converts. Um, you know, but I'll never forget that. And um, she was, you know, precious girl, and, and she feared her husband. That same year, another gal that was coming to church died uh, of anorexia. And that same year is when this dear lady, Barb, got word that she had cancer. It was a horrible year. I'll never forget 2005. And she would pass the next year. But I, I will never forget her funeral. Never forget her funeral. God worked in a great way. We had been praying for her husband, and during the funeral, we gave an invitation, and he responded. Now, again, I don't know what happens in hearts. You know, I can't tell who's saved and who's not. And I've, I've, you know, I used to just look, if I didn't see immediate fruit, I'm like, oh, they probably didn't get saved. But I've come to realize that sometimes, you know, when God saves someone, He works on them, He doesn't give up on them. But I, I'll never forget that. And I'm, I'm always mindful in the Bible of this passage. And I think of her when I think of this. Because it's talking about the influence of a wife in an unsaved husband's life. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You don't need to turn there. But let me read to you this. Because this, this is when I think of that gal. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 14 and following. He says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. Now that is not saying that your children get saved by proxy. You know, as long as you've got the right parents, if your parents are saved, then you're automatically saved. But it is talking about the influence of the light. Remember what Jesus said? You are the light of the world. And, and he goes on. Um, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such, such a case. But God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? In other words, it's, sometimes people get saved, and this is what 1 Corinthians 7 is all about. Not just marriage, but when you get saved, you get saved at different periods in life. Some people get saved young, some people get saved old. Some people get saved in poverty. Some people get saved in, in riches. Some people get saved in one country versus another. And, and it, it just deals with all that. Some people get saved and they're not, their mate's not saved. You know, what do you do after you get, or some people get married and then they get saved. So, you know, the Bible says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers in 2 Corinthians. So what do you do when you... You get saved. Are you supposed to break up with your, you know, separate from your unsaved spouse? No. That's where 1 Corinthians chapter 7 comes in. And it talks about the influence a saved wife or a saved husband has on the mate who is not saved. And that light has power. Again, the, the, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Not saved, but the influence the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband and, and the children also. In other words, everyone is influenced by someone that's saved. Because somebody has the light in your house. Light is so important. Now, if you're a child of God, you need to let your light so shine. If you don't have any light, maybe you prayed the prayer, but you never got saved, then you need to just examine yourself. 
Because folks, there's nothing worse than a self-generated Christianity. I mean, I'm just, you know, all right, I got, I'm going to try and be better. I'm going to try. Human effort is not what salvation is all about. It's when God gets hold of a life and the Spirit of God begins to work in you from the inside out. A lot of people are trying Christianity from the outside in. And that's a failure. Because it's not legitimate. In fact, I sympathize. I've met people that... I've met, I remember a man, and again, I don't know whether he is really saved or not, but I remember he, he was so frustrated and he says, oh, this Christian life is impossible. It's, I can't do it. You're right, you can't do it. God does it in you, you know, again, but it, it's from the inside out. Let your light so shine. The light that's inside you. And this dear gal that I'm talking about, she had the light. It's just such a blessing in so many ways. Um, it was, it was, it's tough. She was probably one of the first. We've had a bunch of people die prior to that, obviously. And I'm sure there's others too, but she was one of our core people that came to church every time the doors were open. And those people, I mean, they become a part of you as a church more, you know, because they're family. And boy, when she died, huge void, huge void. So the importance of light. Now let's talk about the lampstands. The lampstand or the candelabra, the menorah, the Greek word uh, in the Greek Old Testament was luchnia. Moses was commanded to make the tabernacle according to the... God gave the specific pattern on how it was to be done in Exodus chapter 25 and in Exodus chapter 37. And one of those things was, you know, this is how you have to construct the menorah, the candlestand for the tabernacle that's going to go in there to provide light. By the way, when Rome was, um, it was the pattern that when Rome was sacked in about A.D. 70, or, or Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans, and they took the spoils back, uh, one of the spoils that they took was the golden candle stand. And to this day, if you go to Rome, there is something called the um, Arch of Titus. And it was constructed in, I think, the 80s A.D. And on it, it shows the Roman victors coming back with all the spoils after they had plundered Jerusalem. And one of the, the biggest thing on there was the lampstand. And, and it's still on there today. And it was exactly the way it was instructed of Moses to do. But it was, the lampstand was so important. And it would set the scene to become a figurative picture of God's presence and God's working. In fact, let me read to you from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia about the candlestick. In one portion it says, Certain figurative uses of candle and candlestick in the Bible demand attention. The ancient and still common custom of the East of keeping a house lamp burning night and day, gave rise to the figure of speech so universally found in Oriental languages by which the continued prosperity of the individual or family is set forth by a perennial burning lamp. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. So there's this pattern that started that is now, and it's throughout scripture, that when God's hand was upon a person's life, the picture was, a light, a lampstand being burned continually. 
And if God's, and that's what the picture is in, in Revelation chapter 2. When God's hand is in a church, it's a picture of a lampstand burning. Job chapter 3, or excuse me, Job chapter 29 and verse 3 relates this idea that prosperity with God is pictured by the burning lamp. It says, when his candle shined upon my head and when by his light I walked through the darkness. Psalm 18 and verse 28, the psalmist says, Thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Now just the opposite is true too. That when God's hand of blessing was taken away, the light, the lampstand was taken away. Job 18.6 The light shall be dark in this tabernacle and his candle shall be put out with him. Proverbs 24 and verse 20, For there shall be no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Jeremiah 25.10, I will take from him the light of the candle. That was always a picture of God's judgment. And so, here we have now in Revelation chapter 2, the removal of the candlestick. In other words, God's saying, your ministry is, is done. And so that he has said that when you read church history and not every church when the candlestick is removed closes like the church I shared with you that I was a part of. That church closed and I think it was good because the, the candlestick wasn't in there. God was not blessing. There's a lot of churches though that still continue functioning as a church. I mentioned it, a lot of denominations. You just read church history. There were churches, whole denominations that once preached the gospel. And now there is dark. There is no, no mention of the gospel. They now just embrace every heresy. Candlestick is gone. I want to close with this example. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, who are we talking about? The church at Ephesus. That was one of the seven churches. Literally, there was a church in Ephesus. In fact, it was a thriving church in a very pagan city. A very thriving city. And it was to them, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, that God said, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick. So in that first century... Ephesus, oh, what a great history of Paul going into Ephesus and preaching the gospel and people got saved. You have in your New Testament a letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. You have a book called Ephesians. And that was to the church in that first century that was thriving. And boy, what a powerful book that is. Ephesians, talking about putting on the whole armor of God and the soldier and so many great challenges, so many pictures of the church, how the church is to function like a healthy human being and like a, a healthy building where all the joints are fit together and so many things in Ephesians. And now, several years after they receive this letter, they get this letter. In other words, several years after they got the book of Ephesians as a letter, now they get this letter from the Lord, and it's a warning. You better watch it, church in Ephesus, or I'm going to remove my candlestick from you. 
I want to read to you from a book that cites a lot of archaeological references. In fact, the book is on the life and work of the Apostle Paul. And it talks about the city of Ephesus and what it is today. Listen to this description of Ephesus. Its candlestick has been for centuries removed out of its place. The squalid Mohammedan village which is nearest to its site does not count one Christian in its insignificant population. Its temple is a mass of shapeless, shapeless ruins. Its harbor is a reedy pool. The bittern booms amid its pestilent and stagnant marshes. And malaria and oblivion reign supreme over the place where the wealth of ancient civilization gathered around the scenes of its grossest superstitions and its most degraded sins. So what the Lord predicted happened. They did not repent. And there were so many good things, so many, so many blessings in the book of Acts about the church in Ephesus, so many blessings of, of how that church started, so many blessings in the epistle of, of the Ephesians to the Ephesians. And then this warning. And now the church is no more. The closest Muhammad village can't even count one Christian. That's sad. Now I submit to you folks, we don't want Bible Baptists to be that, do we? I don't. I want the candlestick to be in this place for years to come. Meaning that we are a light to our city. Upper Darby, Delaware County needs every church that still has the lampstand to keep shining brightly. What's that mean? That means we have to be very busy shining brightly. The gospel, folks, is the, that's the light, right? We get away from focusing on the gospel and preaching the gospel. And we move towards becoming a social club. And we can become a very effective social club. I mean, we could get some entertainment ministries in here. We could, I mean, we could just, you know, we could really make this a happen in place and lose our perspective of the gospel. So may God help us. I want to close with this as I think of, and I have been contrasting the last two weeks, the two ministries of my experience, one only three years, uh, very challenging, difficult three years, and then 30 years of wedded bliss with you dear folks. I've told people, in some ways I still feel like I'm on my honeymoon. I said that after the first few years. I've said it less, you know, as time goes on, but still go back to that. Uh, It's been such a blessing when I compare those first three years. But as I contrast, I'm mindful of that first year when we started our church. Because we had a good amount of people. And I had this vivid recollection. Because the church in Lancaster, because God was not blessing it, they struggled. I mean, they struggled when they were meeting in the furniture store. There's a handful of people. And so for three years, we labored. Got them out of the furniture store. Saw people say, but they still struggled. And I'm telling you, I will never forget. There's a quote by Spurgeon. I'll, I'll close with this thought, though. Spurgeon made the statement, you've heard me quote this before, but he said, Doubtfulness and discouragement is an epidemic 
which soon spreads among the Lord's flock. You hear that? Doubtfulness and discouragement is an epidemic which soon spreads amongst the Lord's flock. One downcast believer makes 20 souls sad. And I've noticed we had about 20 people in that other church. And it only took one person, and we had that person, who was very downcast and doubtful. And it infected the whole flock, all the rest of the 19, in a major way. When you've got a small gathering, each person that attends is very vital. And it only takes one person to sour everything. And I want to tell you something. Our last three years during the quarantine, well, first we didn't meet. We closed, you know, and just did it online. But as we've been working to build it back, I've never, in, in the 30 years we've had until this quarantine, I've never had any feeling like I did those first three years, except a few times when we had the quarantine or when we're coming back and when there's just a small gathering of believers. I've noticed it only takes one sour person And man, it really affects the body. And that has concerned me big time. So I want you to, first of all, I want you to realize, and those of you online, your presence here is very important. Very important. And the more folks we have, the more encouragement is, you know, when we have a good group here, you're encouraged, aren't you? I mean, you are. When we have a lot of people come, it's encouraging. But when we don't have a lot of people... That's when it only takes one or two really negative people to just, you know, uh, as Spurgeon said, doubtfulness and discouragement and to just put everyone down. So we need to be praying. We need to be praying for our flock, for the buildup. We need to be praying for the light of the gospel to go out, most importantly. And then we need to pray that God will build this body so we have a positive effect on one another. Thank you. It's been a blessing. It has been such a blessing to be your pastor. Uh, I want to thank you for it, for being a part of Bible Baptist. And by the way, if your pictures are not in those, the picture slideshow, I was asking for months for people to send me pictures. So don't blame me, okay? In fact, if you want to send a picture late, I'll sneak it in and we can pretend it was part of the original slideshow, okay? Really? See, now, now you're like, oh, I wish I had sent a picture in. So go ahead, you can do it, all right? We're going to give, how about the next two weeks? We have an open window. You send the picture. If it's approved, we're going to get it put on there and it'll be like, just like you were in the picture the whole time. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. And thank you for this dear congregation. Thank you for the privilege of being able to walk with people in life to pastor your flock. Thank you, Father, that you are the chief shepherd And that our job is to simply feed the flock. As Josh said, our job is just to be faithful. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless our church. I pray, Father, that you would not remove the candlestick. In fact, Lord, unless Jesus tarries, I pray that we would have many more years of faithful service. Years of proclaiming the gospel more vehemently and more diligently than we ever have. More souls being saved and added to the church. We pray, Father, you just bring the fire back. Bring the fire into Bible Baptist Church. Help us, Lord, not just to get through the the quarantine, but to flourish as we come out of it. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.